eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. This is Josh Lewin alongside the well-respected baseball insider John Heyman. Every week we bring you insight into the top storylines across the big leagues and get you really anything that you thought of that uh, you might be wondering about regarding baseball. We're going to probably dig into it here, go from division to division. Always bring you a, uh, a kind of a, a cornucopia of guests. Brody Van Wagenen, BBW, GM of the Mets, going to come on the program here this time. Big Time Baseball, a part of Radio.com, allowing you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. You've probably heard of us by now. RD, excuse me, at RDC Sports. If you want to go follow us on Twitter, and uh, please do subscribe to Big Time Baseball on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. So, John, let's start with the sartorial disaster of Players Weekend. And I mean, look, I like to think we're not Statler and Waldorf from the Muppet Show, two fifty-ish curmudgeons kind of shaking their fists at the clouds. I, I loved the Crayola box explosions we saw on various players' feet. Uh, the sand art on the bats, loved the nicknames, which featured emojis this year, including Ty Buttry using the peaches emoji for butt. I, I'm fine with all of that, but why did it have to look like the movie Spaceballs out there with those god-awful <laughs> uniforms? <laughs> That's very strong. I like the fact you called me a well-respected baseball writer, but I am not a well-respected fashionista. I'm a typical sports writer, so uh, I think people should take my... A criticism on the sartorial splendor uh, with a grain of salt. Uh, I will say uh, the white uniforms did not work, especially on TV. I happened to be at a game and it looked a little better in person maybe, but uh, it was hard to differentiate the white from the white, as you might expect. So that didn't quite work. I was okay with the black uniforms. I think the players were too, but as someone remarked on my Twitter to me that it looked like uh, the nurses versus the nuns. So uh, <laughs> it wasn't so wasn't perfect. Uh, I will say that. Well, and you know, the, my only issue with the all black uniforms is, of course, there's always the uh, the issue of the umpires now being in black. So it looked like there were 13 guys on defense out there to me. <laughs> but, but yeah, anyway. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and, I, and I guess the other thing, John, not not to belabor this off the top, but I will. Uh, you know, you, you get a series like Yankees-Dodgers, which you only get once every three years, and you can't wait, right? I mean, you can't wait to see the classic Yankees uniform against the iconic Dodgers uniform. And I ran into this doing Red Sox games this weekend in San Diego. I mean, there, there's a lot of West Coast Red Sox fans, and, and they're like, oh, my God, to see that great Red Sox uniform up close, I've been waiting three years for this. I'm taking my five-year-old. He's never seen the Red Sox play. And I'm sorry, that's not the Red Sox. It's a random-looking, you know, garden-variety outfit, and I, I just didn't think that was fair. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, you know, one thing I liked uh, 
in the Yankee-Dodger matchup uh, was Adovino wearing the Brooklyn in the back. He is from Brooklyn. Yeah, that's uh, right. And uh, it was the Brooklyn versus L.A. matchup that we got to see for the first time. I thought that was cool. Adovino, little side note, played Little League with my cousin, uh, Nate Hurwitz. And Nate claims to have been a better player than Adovino, but I think that's uh, false. I would say Adovino is better than Nate Hurwitz. Adovino should have gone with Hurwitz as his player's weekend <laughs> choice. You know, I... I asked him about it. Uh, I told him that Nate would, thought he was better, and he really didn't remember Nate very well. So uh. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> hey, let, let's stay with that Yankees Dodgers weekend because obviously that was a premium matchup this past week, and it ended with Kershaw against Domingo Herman. And Kershaw said after the game, "I made four mistakes on 91 pitches, and three of the four mistakes went over the fence." This is a guy that had no walks, 12 strikeouts with three home runs allowed. And, and I know Max Scherzer's won a Cy Young Award with lines like that. But, John, to me, that's a disturbing trend for pitchers, right? I mean, you pitch that well, but every mistake you make, even Mike Ford, undrafted out of Princeton, can just uppercut a mistake for a long home run. Yeah, I mean, that's been a theme of this year. A lot of home runs. And uh, look at Verlander's uh, line for the year. He's been incredible except for the home runs. And, uh, you know, that's certainly an issue that we've seen. Kershaw has been otherwise fantastic this year. And I'm wondering now whether he gets the number one start uh, over Ryu, who struggled uh, against the Yankees. The Yankees, by the way, have done that to a lot of teams this year. It's incredible how they've performed with all these guys on the DL. I think setting records on the DL Ursula has been one of the stories of the year, and I don't know if enough credit has been given to Glaber Torres, because Glaber, I think, is the one who has really turned his career around, offensively at least, with some hitting tips that obviously are paying off. So since we're talking Yankees here, uh, are they kind of a, a matchup-resistant team? They're going to hit no matter who's on the mound. How, how scary are they when you look at what they can do, even in their addled, injured state, against, say, who the Astros are right now? Right. They haven't even had Stanton and um, Judge is now back and obviously performing as he can perform. And you've got all sorts of guys uh, performing at optimal levels. You give credit to to, uh, Ursula, but you give credit to Glaber Torres, but you give credit to those hitting coaches too. Marcus Timms has done a a terrific job. Uh, They can hit as well as anybody in baseball. They're going to need to, though. They've obviously got some starting pitching questions. Got a great bullpen, as with Adovino and some others, as we've talked about Chapman. But uh, still got questions as to what you're going to get out of that rotation. Obviously, Paxton has got talent. Uh, we're going to have to see. He's been a little bit up and down. Happ has just not been good at all. Uh, Herman has been very good. Uh, we're going to see if there's an innings question with him, though. Uh, I like, by the way, his nickname of Sunday. It Perfect. reminded me that uh, I got C's in Spanish, but did remember that Domingo is Sunday. So I like that. Uh so, uh, you know, they're, they're starting pitching still a question. Tanaka has had trouble with the feel of the grip. And he, I, what I've heard is that he was feeling around for it so much that other teams were picking up on when he was going to throw that great, great split finger of his, particularly the Red Sox. And he got killed twice by the Red Sox, once in uh, London and once back in the homeland. Uh, but I think that he is adjusting to that a little bit. He's trying to figure it out. But uh, he's having trouble with the seams, and that's an issue. So, you know, the Yankees can hit with anybody, but uh, still got a lot of questions in terms of their rotation. Speaking of which, Tampa Bay, uh, still obviously in the wild card thick of it, and they're eight games out uh, behind the Yankees as we speak. So they may get Snell and Chirinos back in a few weeks, but th- these guys just had Detroit, Seattle, Baltimore for a week and a half. It's not exactly Daniel and the Lions' den. And, and Daniel got out only 5-5 five and five against the dregs of the American League. So is there a concern about Tampa Bay? Oh, absolutely. I, I think they do a terrific job. They always outperform. Certainly my uh, prognostication for them, I did not have them in the playoffs. Once again, I've been wrong many times as they've uh, really, really outperformed, at least in my mind. Now you combine the injuries with the low payroll. I think they're going to have a tough spot. Obviously, Oakland, which is kind of the Tampa Bay of the West Coast, they do a terrific job out there. They've been so great in the second half, and they're getting healthy now. So I I think Oakland's going to make it. And I still think that uh, AL Central team that doesn't win, which I think is going to be Cleveland, is going to be able to beat them out. Obviously, Jose Ramirez's injury hurts them. But uh, I think Cleveland, with all their pitching, uh, which is excellent, uh, is going to hang in there and get a playoff spot. 
On the fringe of all this in the AL East is Boston. Still not officially dead, but uh, look, Sale and Price and Evaldi have combined for 14 wins. Erod, Eddie Rodriguez, has 15 wins. Uh, they're paying him $4 million, and Sale, Price, and Evaldi are getting $70 million. Uh, and, you know, when the Red Sox get a quality start, John, I was just looking at this this weekend, they're actually 19-1 and in their last 20 games. Problem is, they've got fewer quality starts than the Miami Marlins this year. And if you're paying that kind of money for that kind of rotation, that's just not going to fly. Right. I mean, you look at every team, it seems like there are a lot of guys that make big money who have not really produced this year. I mean, the Yankees are the same. Uh, obviously, Stanton has been on the deal most of the year. Ellsbury has been out. We've almost forgotten about him, the, the former Red Sox. And they've gotten so much production out of Ursula and Voigt and all the other guys who are better bargains. And, you know, I think that's typical in baseball. Where that happens, uh, the sale has been a disappointment for the first time in his career. Incredible, incredible career. And fortunately, now the injury has taken him out. I mean, I thought a few weeks ago that they were done. They've shown some signs at times, but, uh, you know, they're not going to make it, I don't think, in the American League. The American League is just uh, very tough. And to get those two wild card spots, you're going to probably have to be 20 games over. So I, I don't see Boston getting there with what's gone on this year. One guy I want to ask you about on the Red Sox going forward with free agency is J.D. Martinez, because he's got an opt-out. And all of a sudden, here's J.D. Martinez very quietly. Since July 20th, he leads the major leagues in total bases and OPS and slugging. And, you know, it flies under the radar because you've got Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers hitting in front of him. So here's J.D. Martinez kind of smashing his way back into national consciousness but he's not a National League player, right? I mean, he, he can't get out there and, and play the outfield every day. So forget about those teams. I'm looking around at the other American League teams. And, you know, Baltimore's not quite ready, I, I wouldn't think. That's a great ballpark for him. That would be fantastic if he could DH there. But it just doesn't seem like they're ready right now. I mean, maybe the White Sox, maybe the Rangers. But I don't see a, a whole lot of suitors standing in a straight line waiting for the services of J.D. Martinez. Do you, wouldn't he be better off just re-signing with Boston? Yeah, I mean, uh, fantastic player uh, with limited chances to, to leave. We'll see. I mean, uh, he probably feels that he can do some uh, left field and play for a National League team and try to expand that. Uh, he's got $60 million in three years to go. So that opt-out is very interesting. He was making $25 million a year for the first two years. So... Uh, well paid, but uh, he's got $20 million a year for the final three, and uh, it's an interesting call. Um, he is one of the best hitters in the game. As you pointed out, he's been, if not the best, certainly one of the handful of best over the past several weeks. Um, but the limited number of suitors is going to be an issue. So I, I believe I've heard that he would like to stay and like to work it out, whether that means adding a year or doing something to prevent him from opting out, I, I'm not sure that Boston's going to be willing to do that. They did not talk in spring, so my inclination, my guess would be probably not. But again, that's a guess, and uh, it's just a close call that J.D. Martinez has to make. Now, guys have made close calls before, and uh, it hasn't always worked out. Free agency has been tough. Uh, J.D. Martinez, coming off an incredible season, did not have a big market when he was uh, a couple years younger. Uh, you would think he would, but uh, I think that's a very interesting uh, uh, dilemma that he's going to have. One more on the Red Sox before we move along. I just want to ask you about Rafael Devers because here's a kid, and I mean kid, 22 years old, 106 runs scored as we speak right now, 103 runs batted in. He's going to be the first Sox third baseman ever with more than 30 home runs, which is amazing. Butch Hobson once got to 30 on the button, but that's it. And he had no home runs as of May 3rd. I mean, so he's done all of his really with a, a one-month penalty. And you look at Devers and Chapman and Arenado, there are so many great young third basemen right now. And uh, I just kind of uh, figure that, uh, again, when you look at uh, stardom in Major League Baseball, it's tough to stand out, right, when you're at a position that's thick with talent and on a team that's thick with talent. Absolutely. Uh, and you point out there, the thick with talent that Major League Baseball is at third base. Also, in the 22 and younger category, he's kind of overlooked. I, I mean, there's few guys that are just incredible all-around talents like Acuna Jr. and Soto, Glaber Torres. 
so it seems to me that even though he's in Boston and performing like this, uh, Dev, and you, you're there, so you know more than I do, but uh, to me, Devers is very overlooked for what he's done. I think part of it is the fact they're having a disappointing season and people are focused on the fact that uh, the rotation hasn't come together as they would have liked, that Benintendi have, isn't having quite the year that he had last year, that Betts isn't having quite the same year. He's still fantastic, not quite the same year. So he's overlooked for a number of reasons, and it is a bit unfair. AL Central, let's hop over there. And it seems a, a trifle unfair that the Indians were getting everything together, and then all of a sudden, Jose Ramirez breaks a ham eight bone. So where does that leave Cleveland? Is there enough offensive talent other than Jose Ramirez right now to get them into the playoffs and make a run? Well, I, I think that the Bauer trade is going to be very fortunate for him, for them, not only going forward beyond this year, but for this year, Fran Mil Reyes and uh, Yasiel Puig are very big talents. And if they really get going, uh, that could make up for the loss of Ramirez. I know, you know, it's funny to say that Ramirez has been third in MVP uh, two straight years, but uh, he's been a bit up and down this year. Uh, Cleveland's pitching will get them through. They have a fantastic rotation. Uh, the young guys have done incredibly well. Uh, Zach Plesak has been fantastic. Shane Bieber, even better. Uh, you know, Savali has been really good. Uh, that draft, I think, was it two, th- two or three years ago, they had a draft with all three of those young pitchers were picked. They, so they did a terrific job. I, I think they have a very nice team, and they're going to make it. I don't see them winning that division, and I haven't, because Minnesota has an incredible offense, plus Minnesota has the more favorable schedule with more games against the bottom of that division to go. Minnesota's team slugging percentage is 499. That would be an all-time wow. record. Uh, 27 Yankees were 489. Just throwing that out there. And uh, <laughs> the 0-3 Red Sox actually have the record for now at 491. That was Manny Ramirez and Big Poppy and all that. But, yeah, I mean, Nelson Cruz doesn't age. Mitch Garver's got what is right now the 12th highest slugging percentage in a single season ever for a catcher. No one saw that coming. Uh, and and pitching-wise, the, the Twins took a chance on Michael Pineda, two-year deal before the 2018 season that they knew he'd miss a year working his way back. So not a lot of big expectations for him, but uh, boy, they, I I think right now, Minnesota, they'd be in a little bit of trouble without guys like that. You know, I went and saw them in spring training. I thought their offense looked amazing. I know can't really judge in spring training, but I did. Uh, They have a terrific, terrific number of producers from the offensive standpoint. Uh, I was not expecting that I have any inclination that Mitch Garver was going to do this. Uh, Their catching production has been incredible. No one could have seen that coming. Uh, Cruz is a miracle man. I don't know whether it's found a youth or what, but uh, an an amazing performance by him. Uh, You know, they they just have a very strong offensive team, and uh, it's playing out that way. And they've gotten nice years for Motorisi and some of the pitchers, too, so uh, they got a nice team. I mean, whether they can get through Houston or the Yankees when they get to the playoffs, I'm not too sure about that. But I give them credit for uh, making a lot of great moves over the winter and really improving their team uh, like few others have. That's John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. This is Big Time Baseball. Appreciate you listening along. And before we leave the American League, I don't even want to talk about Houston. We know Houston's great. Uh, let me ask you about Oakland because the A's, once again, they have their second half push and they don't go away. And you wonder... How are they doing this? Uh, Marcus Simeon, uh, very quietly having a, a really, really good season. I, I saw a note that uh, as the Oakland A's, and you know they've been in Oakland now 51 years, you're looking around for shortstops with a, a war season of five or better. Uh, Bert Campanaris did it. Miguel Tejada did it once. But now here's Marcus Simeon doing it. I mean, so that's some pretty rare company, and nobody really saw that coming. Marcus Simeon and, and Mark Canna as well. And uh, they're going to have to figure out what to do with Canna now uh, with Loriano coming back. they got too many good players on this small market team. Uh, I'm wondering if Chris Davis may lose a little time. Uh, I'm not sure. He hasn't performed quite this year as he had in the past. But they do a terrific job. We all know about the book, Billy Bean with Moneyball and uh, Dave Forrest. Uh, they really know what they're doing there. I think they have a great manager, Bob Melvin. Uh, who is one of the highest paid managers in the game, and deservedly so. Uh, They just get the most out of what they have, and you have to just applaud them. Great second-half team. That's why I think they're going to make it. How did Mark Canna not 
pick whoop ass as his player's weekend <laughs> name. I, just, I, I thought that would have been know. perfect, but I, I don't know. Let, let's, go, let's go NL West here, if we can keep it on the West Coast. Uh, already we've kind of hinted that the Dodgers are, are in very good shape, uh, and, and everybody knows that. But just to, to tweak it a little bit, I guess, Gavin Lux is hitting 407 at AAA. He's got 12 home runs and 180 trips to the plate an OPS of 1240. I know that's a, a hitter's league and all that. 21 years old, but the Dodgers had Bellinger at 21 doing some really cool things. And uh, Seager was very young when he first came up, and that worked out fine. Is there room for that guy, or do they just leave well enough alone? I think they should make room for him. Uh, they've been very good to hold on to him. I know everybody's wanted him. Uh, the Pittsburgh certainly wanted either him or Dustin May for Felipe Vasquez. The Dodgers weren't going to do that. They're too smart for that. They really uh, do an amazing job at drafting and developing these guys. Uh, May's already been up. Everybody they seem to call up, whether it's Verdugo, Bellinger, Seeger, uh, they're all great. Uh, Lux, incredible from Wisconsin, not a hotbed of baseball. Uh, there have been a few guys from there, but not that many. Uh, but they recognized it, made him a, a late first-round pick. And uh, right now he's one of the, to my mind, one of the top five prospects in baseball, uh, if not the top prospect, now that we have most of the guys like Bichette and others up at the major league level. Uh, just an incredible player, and I think they have to give him a shot. With Bellinger, I just want to throw this at you too, John. I mean, remember, he sat against lefties in the World Series last year, and the stats backed it up. His OPS was 630, which was just terrible. This year, his OPS against lefties is 1,054. And to me, that's just a remarkable adjustment. And, and, you know, he's played his way into being a complete player now. Is he MVP, or are you still looking at Yelich? You know, I think we'll debate it till the end, and uh, Yelich is certainly in the conversation, as is Acuna Jr. I think he's been incredible as well with the 30-30, second youngest to do that. But to me, Bellinger at this point is the MVP. You combine the defense, uh, which is from the outfield perspective, one of the two or three best in the game this year, along with the offense, which is basically equal to Yelich. Um, I think he's, at this moment, in my mind, at least, the clear MVP. But Yelich, you can't take anything away from him. Incredible. Backing up the MVP that he had last year with a, a year that's similar, if not better. Let me go NL Central with you. We were hoping to have Derek Gold on the uh, podcast. We'll reschedule him. But I definitely want to talk some Cardinals with you because uh, Jack Flaherty, from out of nowhere, he's got a sub-1 ERA since the All-Star break. He's kind of carried that rotation. And the Cardinals, you know, last time you and I talked, we were like, hey, you know, should we pick them to maybe squeak in as that second wild card? They've gone from that to it looks like they could win this division. That, that happened pretty quickly. It's really under the radar. I mean, nobody has noticed the Cardinals this year. If you recall, the one All-Star they had was Paul DeYoung, a backup to Baez at the All-Star game, their only All-Star. And I think, well, I love DeYoung. Um, you know, I think he made the team because the Cardinals needed an all-star. And at that point, Flaherty wasn't doing what he's doing now. So I think Flaherty, incredible, uh, great pitcher. He's having a big second half. I think he will continue that. And they certainly are a threat under the radar team. You wouldn't think uh, the Cardinals would be under the radar, but nobody's really noticed them this year. And they have played their way to their top uh, somehow. I think their bullpen isn't as bad as many others in the league, for one. And they're getting some nice performances, obviously, Flaherty and some others now. And Goldie has been fantastic since a slow start, but uh, a terrific job by him. Uh, it's really interesting to see what a, uh, the high school of uh, Harvard-Westlake in L.A. has produced these guys. Uh, Flaherty, uh, Giolito, I think Max Fried even went there. Yep. So three guys uh, who are basically aces at the major league level. Uh, pretty incredible. Let me close out NL Central with you by asking you, John, about a couple teams that are not going to make it into the playoffs this year, but to me they're still fascinating. Cincinnati with Aquino, 12 home runs in his first, what, 77 plate appearances. That's been fun to watch. Uh, and Pittsburgh, 8-30 and 30 out of the All-Star break, made people wonder, is Clint Hurdle's shelf life just over? Even the GM, Neil Huntington, I mean, is, is he on the hot seat now? I know the Pirates got healthy over the weekend, started scoring some runs, but what do you make of Pittsburgh right now? Yeah, Pittsburgh is very interesting. Um, I, I think the owner, Bob Nutting, does not love to spend money. I think that many of their fans would agree with that. And uh, 
we have to remember Clint Hurdle has two more years to go, and the rumor is he makes $3 million a year. I, I don't have that confirmed, but that would be logical that he makes something in that area based on how he's done there. He's been great there overall, nine years there. Uh, it does look like uh, they probably do need to change uh, something big, and it probably will be Hurdle, but that's uh, a, a big nut. I have no pun intended for nutting uh, to absorb. Uh, with two years to go. Uh, as far as Cincinnati goes, I give their owner credit for really going for it this year. I think that was his push to do it. Uh, the pitching has been good. Uh, their run differential is fine, but uh, they've lost too many close games for whatever reason. Aquino has been a very exciting add uh, late in the season. Uh, the big issue with him was the plate discipline, and he seems to have corrected that, uh, at least uh, at the beginning part of his career here. All right, before we get to Brody Van Wagen and talk about the Mets, let's at least tiptoe into the NL East, talk about a couple of the other teams. The Braves, they've been winning a ton lately. Uh, Cunha's 21, and the buzz is this is a 40-40 guy annually. So long-term, the Braves are in great shape. Short-term, they bring in Billy Hamilton, Francisco Cervelli. That's already paying off. Are the Braves a team that can go deep in the postseason? Uh, they could. I mean, obviously, L.A. is the best team or has been the best team this year in the National League, and they're going to be a big favorite and tough to beat uh, with a combination of their depth and uh, their talent and everything else. And I would expect that they would get out of there. But the Braves look like the biggest threat uh, to the Dodgers. Some people would say the Nats, the way they've performed lately, and it's been fantastic. Uh, but they haven't given up on the division. The Braves uh, benefited from winning a lot of close games. Uh, I think their own, their manager, Brian Sitnitker, has done a great job there. Uh, they have a lot of good young talent. Acuna is the main one. Uh, he is fantastic. Uh, obviously, we could see 40-40. He's already got 30-30. So uh, I think at some point in his career, if not this year, he will do the 40-40 in a uh, just amazing. Albies has been fantastic. Uh, they do a great job. They sign these guys up long-term. They pick the right guys to sign up. And uh, these pickups have been interesting. Hamilton was brought in just for defense, and he made a nice offensive contribution, beating the Mets with a late hit. And, uh, you know, Cervelli, uh, a great character guy, adding uh, his veteran uh, leadership to the team is a big plus. It is mostly a young team. So, uh, they've done great work there. They have a nice team and a great future. I still think the Dodgers are the big favorite, though. All right, and finally, John, give me 30 to 60 seconds on Washington before we bring on Brody Van Wagen and the Nats. As we record this, they've led in the eighth inning of 19 straight games. Uh, Rendon, one of the most underrated stars in the league. I know you like Washington a lot. They're, they're great. They're really a terrific team. They, they hit home runs like a lot of teams, but they don't strike out uh, too much, and they put the ball in play, so give them credit. Rendon, uh, I didn't mention him as an MVP candidate, but he's probably fourth, certainly in the top five. Uh, fantastic hitter. Soto, incredible hitter as well. Trey Turner, terrific at shortstop. Uh, it's not just the big three, those pitchers, but that's a big plus, obviously, to have Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Uh, it's incredible to think that they're a, a team with a bullpen ERA of around six uh, for most of the year, and uh, they're going to make the playoffs. Most times when we see a team with a bullpen ERA of six, they're an absolute abomination. You know, there aren't many teams that have a bullpen ERA that bad, uh, but the, the ones that have have uh, been terrible, and they've overcome that with great starting pitching and a, and a great lineup, and uh, a lot of people think they're a threat because of the top three. I mean, Again, Ed Dodgers are the big favorite, but uh, the way the Nats have played lately, I can understand that theory that they could do it. It's become the fascinating division that everybody thought it would be all year, and it finally has happened. And the Mets may be the most intriguing of that group. So we'll talk to Brody Van Wagenen as the podcast continues. So let's meet the Mets. Let's talk about what has happened to get them back into America's consciousness. And uh, boy, they, they actually now are really one of the most interesting teams in Major League Baseball. And the architect of all that, Brody Van Wagenen, kind enough to join us on Big Time Baseball. Uh, big Time GM, getting this done. Uh, congratulations, Brody. I know uh, no parades yet. I understand that. Nothing's done. You guys still have some work to do. But how gratifying is it that uh, with all the doubt and and everything that was swirling around about a month, month and a half ago, that you guys are right in the thick of this thing. Well, thanks, guys. First, uh, first and foremost, for having me on. Uh, I, I won't take big time GM uh, accolades by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> yet. It's uh, it's been a rocky road so far. The first half definitely was wasn't how we scripted it, but it is very exciting and rewarding 
to see our players having turned it around and played great baseball in the second half and to be relevant. And, and I think most importantly, we're playing meaningful games here in August and, and hopefully September where we can control our own destiny. I appreciate your candor in mentioning uh, it's been a rocky road, but it's certainly been a very exciting uh, late summer in New York. I was at several of your games, and the fans are really into it. I think they were surprised, and happily so. What would you say uh, the couple of different factors that have helped in this turnaround? It's been an amazing really an amazing turnaround, whether it's be the coaching changes or uh, anything else that you, you can point to. Obviously, uh, several of the players have really stepped it up. Uh, Rosario, Lagaris have really kind of found their way, familiar to, to a degree as well, uh, the rotation. But uh, what would you point to as the couple of things that have really spurred this turnaround? Well, I think a lot of it, John, is related to what we tried to do in the offseason. And I know uh, – there was a lot of talk about what we did and a lot of excitement, but you know, the, the team was built on the backs of our starting pitching. And in the first half of the year, we had a little bit of inconsistency in the starting rotation. We also in the off season set out to try to bolster the bullpen. we certainly had inconsistency in the bullpen performance and some, some health issues with, uh, with guys not being available in the first half. And then we wanted to create more length to the lineup. And, you know, now that we look, look back on it, the starting pitching has stabilized, to say the least. Uh, Justin Wilson coming back, Luis Avalon coming back in the bullpen have been two huge pieces to the puzzle. And then I think we, we made a bold move and not an easy move right before the break to, to restructure our, our coaching staff from a pitching perspective. And bringing in a guy like Phil Regan and Ricky Bonus back to the bullpen and Jeremy Accardo in a new, newly created position the combination of those of those three heads has has yielded good results. And most importantly, you know, we like the process that those guys are going through, the collaboration that they're utilizing, and it's it's just nice to see everything coming together. And and that's under the radar kind of stuff nationally, you're right. I mean, people giggled a little bit because you know, they made the octogenarian jokes about Phil and then it was kinda of like, Oh, well actually, now that we look at it, that actually makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it seems like some of the off-season stuff too, Brody. I think J.D. Davis is a great example of this. You know, nobody really looked one way or another at bringing in J.D. Davis at first. I mean, the, the guy hit 175 for the Astros last year, but now he's one of the top hitters in the entire National League since the All-Star break. So isn't that weird how sometimes it's the moves that get no attention, they end up being the big ones? Yeah, and it changes. It changes day by day, but... You know, we really liked J.D. Davis. We'd identified him as a target early in the offseason and believed that the bat could play at this level if, if he was either put in the right situations matchup-wise or if, if he got the playing time uh, that enabled him to grow as a, as a big leaguer. And to his credit, he's, he sees the opportunity when we've you know, experienced some of the adversity with Brandon Nimmo and Dom Smith not being available. He's pick, picked up and you know, had the lion's share of the of the at-bats in left field, and he's run with it. And the offensive approach that he illustrated in the minor leagues is something that, that has has manifested itself here over the course of the last couple of months. And, you know, credit to him on uh, on earning and, and sustaining the, the performance that uh, – and or capitalized on the, on the opportunity. Uh, two things I thought that uh, were the right moves – uh, to do, at least in retrospect, I wasn't smart enough to know that keeping McNeil out of that trade with Seattle. Now, I know the Seattle, the Seattle trade hasn't worked out exactly like you would have hoped. Uh, there was obviously a couple negatives to it, but uh, keeping McNeil out and then also prioritizing winning and doing the right thing and having Alonzo make the team uh, was huge. I know some teams may have done some roster manipulation and left them back or whatever. Uh, when did you realize that Alonzo needed to be on the team and that he'd make an impact like this? I don't know if anybody knew that, but and also, how did close did McNeil come to being in that Seattle trade, and what what transpired to prevent him from being in it? Well, I'll take the take the Alonzo one first, John, and I'll come back to McNeil. But the the Alonzo piece was, I think, a a key part of our off season. As, as you know, we didn't necessarily go out and buy a first baseman or an exclusive first baseman. We felt like with some of the depth that we had around the infield that we would have an opportunity to cover first base if Pete wasn't ready by utilizing Frazier and, and other guys there and Dom Smith. But 
but we gave him a clean runway and or a clear runway and said, okay, Pete, you have an opportunity here. If you earn it in spring training, we're not going to hold you back. And I think the reason why we took that approach was because we knew the National League East was going to be incredibly competitive. And it's turned out to be that way, at least as it relates to the wild card. The Braves have, have been the rabbits and gone out ahead of everybody. But, you know, we think here now, um, similarly what we did at the beginning of the season, that we figured a playoff spot was going to potentially come down to one, two, or three games. And that's where we are now. And we think back to, to April that had we not had Pete, we could have lost a few more games than we did in April and, and be you know, two, three, four, five games worse than where we are right now. And, and that would have a dramatic impact on our playoff, playoff odds. So that was important. I think the McNeil uh, in the Seattle deal, I, I think you know, I get a little bit of a, a chuckle out of the reports of who was in a deal versus who was not. It, uh, it's rare that a player would be offered in a deal and then the team say, oh, okay, yes, and then we pull out of a deal. That's not, not how negotiations work. I think a lot of times teams will submit proposals on the player they would like to be included in the deal. And, you know, McNeil, we never said yes to McNeil being in the, in that deal. Um, you know, I know there was talk about which players we put into a deal for JT Romuto with the Phillies. And some of those, some of those reports are more about which teams liked our players and which players were of high priority to them. But McNeil, based on what he did last year, and what we needed in the lineup this year of continuing to try to create uh, bat-to-ball contact as opposed to relying solely on the home run, it was something that we, we really never wanted to, to lose or give up in, in any deal this offseason. Brody Van Wagenen spending time with us. You inherited a manager that you didn't know all that well in Mickey Calloway, and he was the subject of a lot of speculation as to his future when the team wasn't performing well. And obviously, you know, he, he did kind of a full-on tirade in Chicago, and that got a lot of play for a while. But now the team is winning. Uh, everybody seems to be responding to Mickey. He's got a very genial style, I, th- I think you'd have to say. Uh, where is he right now just in terms of, I don't, I don't need you to say, oh, yeah, he's definitely coming back. He's definitely not. But how, how has your perception of Mickey grown as you've gotten to know him? Well, I've, I've said this pretty consistently over the season that, you know, one of the, the characteristics that I think Mickey has done, done really well, um, at least on, you know, on, on the 2019 season where I've been, been able to see a firsthand view of it is he's maintained the clubhouse. I, I think that even through the adversity that we experienced in the first four months of the year, uh, that clubhouse is, has remained united. They get along with each other. There's chemistry from veterans to, to the young kids, to you know, the, the American-born players, to the international players, there's been a unit that was created at spring training and, and was able to be uh, sustained over the course of the season. And uh, it's been fun to watch these guys get along, and I, I credit Mickey to being able to hold this group together and, uh, and put us in the position where we are now. Yeah, I, not that anyone asked, but I will second that on Callaway and the clubhouse. I think uh, not only the players stuck together, they they all seem to support Mickey, at least the ones that I, I know. So uh, I agree with you on that one. Uh, I, I do want to ask one thing on the race as you're now in it. Uh, obviously, this was a tough weekend against uh, Atlanta, a uh, competitor, but uh, you're in a good spot, except that now Washington looks like uh, they're in a position to grab one of the two wild card spots and there are five or six teams uh, still vying uh, for those two one or one or two spots uh, what do you think the key is to for your team to make it I know the bullpen has been better the defense has been better a lot of good signs but is there anything in particular you think is the key and also just a little bit of the injury update Nimmo and Lowry are we going to see them soon and is Diaz okay Wow, there's a lot there. Let me try to unpack some of that, John. First and foremost, I think the key he's going forward is to continue to get the performance of, of the guys that we've had during this, during this run. You know, Wilson Ramos is a little bit of a forgotten free agent signing for us, too. Uh, he got off to the slow start, both offensively and defensively, and he has really been one of the guys that's carried us over the course of the last two months. And his, his offense has been, has been incredibly consistent. And he started to work much better with, with our pitchers as well as, as the rotation stabilized. So if, uh, 
if Rosario, if Lagares, if Ramos, if those guys continue to give us offensive performance while giving us much improved defense, I think those guys could be could be keys to the team as we as we try to support our our starting rotation. Uh, I think the the injury updates we were able to get McNeil back here over the weekend. I, I think we're optimistic based on the rehab assignment of Brandon Nimmo that uh, barring setbacks, we're hoping that he can come back here in short order. Cano has done incredibly well um, and has surprised, I think, our training staff in terms of what he's been able to do activity level. He's already resumed baseball activities to a pretty pretty high degree of workload. He's taking ground balls. He's you know, facing uh, – he's taking batting practice both indoors now on the field. He started his running progression. So we're encouraged with, with his progress and hope that, hope that he'll be able to join us uh, well before the season ends. I think that, uh, that Jed Lowry has started he, his rehab assignment again and uh, will play again in St. Lucie, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, or actually, maybe, yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Um, and, you know, we'll keep that, uh, keep that going. I think that if we get to September and, and have rosters expanded and look at, uh, look at guys coming back that aren't necessarily minor league call-ups, but we're, we're getting back guys that we envision being core members of our starting lineup. And now those guys join a team with J.D. Davis and with, uh, you know, with some of these other guys, Pete Alonzo and McNeil, that have, have had great years. I think we're pretty excited for where our offensive performance can be as we head into September, and hopefully we can stay on this road. Well, you've given Mets fans a lot to dream about here down the stretch, Brody. Congratulations on that continued success, and really appreciate you joining us. Guys, happy to, uh, happy to come on and appreciate the, uh, the time. Awesome. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen, he is the, uh, the Mets man that's got them uh, right where they kind of need to be right now in a very, very interesting NL East. We're going to get to John Heyman's Insider segment as the podcast continues. All right, so as we get towards the end of this award-winning podcast, let's see if we can get <laughs> inside and uh, talk to John Heyman about all the cool stuff he's hearing as the, the season starts to get down towards the end as well. We've already talked, John, about the Yankees and how they've negotiated and navigated all these choppy waters. I mean, you know, all these different guys that have hit home runs and uh, people have just picked up the slack that you've never even heard of before. You love the fact that, that Ursula, I mean, here's a guy that started the year two for 20 and had one home run as of May 7th, and now everybody wants his jersey. Uh, that's great, but, you know, D.D. Gregorius and everybody else, they've got to all stay healthy. Uh, I want to ask you about Didi. He's, he's back for now, but what, what kind of line is drawn with Didi Gregorius going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Didi Gregorius is a guy that Yankees absolutely want to keep. He's a free agent after the year. Uh, the situation became a little more complicated because he needed Tommy John and missed the beginning part of the year, but he's come back nicely. He's had some uh, nicks and bruises lately, but he's performed uh, pretty much close to what you expect for Didi Gregorius. Uh, they love him. They see him as a leader in the clubhouse, an absolute positive influence, and they want to keep him long-term. But the negotiations are going to be interesting. Uh, Casey Close, uh, uh, the agent, uh, very well known, who they've been through with the previous shortstop, Derek Jeter, and they had some battles, and they got through it, and Jeter obviously had a Hall of Fame career, uh, probably will be unanimous uh, like Mo uh, when it comes out, uh, but they definitely had battles, and they may have a battle over Didi. I think the Yankees want to draw the line at that Bogart deal. From what I'm understanding, uh, they thought that Bogart's uh, six years for $120 million, uh, is a comp for Didi. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, if push comes to shove, if they're asked, uh, they may feel that Didi isn't maybe not quite as accomplished as Bogert's and they'd like to keep it a little bit below that if they could, but uh, they may get to that point where they're that close or right there, but uh, they definitely do not want to go over. If they go over, it will be an absolute victory for the agent. Uh, you never know with uh uh, free agent and seeing how things would go. They certainly would give him the uh, qualifying offer, which some has impacted some people. Not sure it would impact D.D. He's a fantastic player, but I, I think that's the line in the sand that they would draw. It would be uh, Bogarts. You know, I'm looking at that AL East, and I'm thinking that as you and I last podcast kind of did lightning round about all the managers on the hot seat. I don't know that we had to do anything in the AL East at all, but NL East 
if the Phillies don't make the playoffs, and even if they do, let's say they get in there as a wild card, and, and even if they advance, and let's say they then uh, get swept in uh, the first real round of the, the National League Division Series, does that mean Gabe Kapler's gone? I mean, do they have to keep on winning, get to an NLCS, and be that competitive, or where does that stand? Yeah, I think he's in a precarious situation right now. Uh, if they don't make it, I, I think he's probably in, in trouble. Uh, the Charlie Manuel thing, he handled very well. He's, uh, Kepler is a very positive guy. He certainly publicly was uh, very accepting of Charlie coming in there. Uh, it seemed like a, a change in their thinking when that happened. Uh, the owner, John Middleton, said, you know what, uh, This all this analytics stuff, it's great, but you know, maybe we got to take a step back and look at it and bring back an old school guy in Charlie Manuel. And I'm sure that some feathers were ruffled there. Not sure if it was Kapler, but uh, certainly is interesting. If they do make it, I think a lot of people will credit Charlie Manuel. I think it's fantastic. A beloved guy, great influence in the clubhouse. As Kapler and the others have said, I don't think there's anything wrong. But uh, if they don't make it, I I think they might look at Kapler. I I know that the GM... Uh, Matt Klintek is committed to him, but, uh, you know, if they if they don't make it, that will be a big disappointment for them. And they're in a tough spot in terms of making it because it does look like Washington will get a playoff spot. And then uh, there's only one wild card spot open for about a half dozen teams. I've also heard that Mike Sosha, very interested in this job, not a shocker. He did step away from the Angels. He was not going to be retained there. Uh, they went toward analytics and away from old school but uh, it would be interesting to see whether Sosha could be a candidate and Joe Madden as well, a guy, another guy from Pennsylvania, both guys from Pennsylvania, Madden and Sosha. Is that NL East kind of a, a weird referendum on kind of a victory for the old farts against the, <laughs> against the young whippersnappers? Because it's Phil Regan who has kind of gotten the Mets pitching back in shape and Phil's, you know, 3,000 years old. <laughs> and you've got, like you said, Charlie Manuel, who's very old school. And I don't mean to paint this as a, you know, kind of flip phones versus smartphones kind of thing. It doesn't have to be that stark. But isn't that weird in a way? Because for the last several years now, it's, oh, you know, the youngest GM, the youngest manager. Those are the, you know, they're the hitting coaches we've never heard of. Those are the guys that get all the ink and all the attention. But, you know, here comes some of the old coots and it's working. Yeah, I don't think we're going back to flip phones. I was one of the last ones, by the way, one of the last holdouts for that, and then the BlackBerry eventually. But I, you, I thought I, you still had your BlackBerry. I, I actually have gone to an iPhone, which I'm still working on using correctly. But uh, <laughs> Good luck. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think it's cut and dried. I don't think we're going back toward old school completely, but maybe in some cases people are rethinking how much old school knowledge and scouting knowledge to use. And I'm glad to see that there is some interest in old school and scouting still. The analytics is a very important part of the game. I'm not going to denigrate it, downgrade it in any way. There's no question uh, that teams have used it effectively. Uh, but in terms of the managers, I think we're still going to see, while Sosha will have interest in that Philly job, I still think on average we're going to see more young guys, more well-known, personable guys who had major league careers uh, like Boone, who's done a terrific job, uh, come in and Alex Cora and guys who haven't necessarily had big experience in terms of managing or even coaching. And I think that could be a possibility with the Cubs. Obviously, Joe Madden, we've talked about this for a while, and uh, people understand that he is on the hot seat if they don't go very far, and he, maybe even if they do. Uh, I just think that days of the $6 million manager are over. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And I mentioned Mark Loretta, Mark DeRosa as possibilities there. I want to throw in another name. David Ross is another guy that they've been consulting with, who's obviously a TV guy in that genre. Nice major league career, very personable guy, guy who gets along with the front office. So I think he'd be a possibility with the Cubs as well. Hey, since we kind of went down the the road of old farts here, let (laughs) you and I flatulate away here for a moment. A couple of guys, you and I, who just full disclosure, you know, journalism school at Northwestern. So, you know, we, I'm sure, would tend to stick up for reporters always. But what's this nonsense with Verlander a week ago, where, where he and I guess more the Astros decided because there's been a history with a certain reporter from the Detroit Free Press. And isn't that something? It's a newspaper called the Free Press. And... The, the press is not free to go talk to Justin Verlander. How was that handled? What could the Astros have done differently? And do we hate that alpha to omega? 
Yeah, very good point on the free press. I, I like that. I understand that. Uh, in this case, um, you know, I understand when a guy uh, doesn't get along with a journalist. I've been there. Uh, there have been times where we've had uh, disagreements with players, and uh, the player isn't always anxious to talk. In this case, Verlander is a big star and uh, put his foot down and made a statement. Uh, you know, I understand him doing that. I, I don't understand what the Astros did. I think they did the wrong thing. It certainly having security uh, line the, uh, outside of the clubhouse to prevent uh, uh, Fennec from going in in a timely manner, Anthony Fennec from the free press. Uh, I don't think that was the right thing to do. The right thing to do would have been to say to Verlander, you don't have to answer his questions. You're not obligated to. You can say, I'm not answering your questions, uh, not to disallow him from entering the clubhouse. And the Astros kind of doubled down on it after doing that and saying they were right, even after MLB said, no, you're wrong, that's against the rules. So, uh, you know, the, the Astros are in a funny spot. Uh, of course, they're going to often side with this $35 million a year player against a reporter, especially one from out of town. But uh, I think they did the wrong thing. One thing to note on Anthony Fennick here is that uh, – while he and Verlander may not see eye, eye on things, Fennec has been very professional when it comes to the voting. I know a lot of people criticize the writers and say they vote for their favorites or don't vote for their non-favorites. But if you look at his voting history, I don't know if anyone's pointed this out, Fennec had an uh, AL Cy Young vote in both 2016 and 18. Verlander didn't happen to win in either year, but Fennec did give him a first place vote in 16 and 18. So I would note that on his behalf that he was fair with Verlander. Despite their disagreements, uh, he did vote for Verlander. And I think Verlander was a very reasonable vote, even though he did not win either year. Uh, as we know, uh, uh, Blake Snell won last year, and then in 16, it was Porcello. Let's uh, end with this here, John, because now I'm intrigued. Since you opened that can of worms, that you have not gotten along with players yourself in your long, rich history of intrepid journalism, uh, give us a story. <laughs> who, who's the who's the guy that that maybe would have wanted you, if not barred, thrown in a trash can? Uh, well, there were many, uh, and I don't want to bring this up to say anything negative about him. I mean, may have had legitimate concerns. Uh, Pete Harnish, uh, at one point, uh, when I asked something in Baltimore, if I recall, he just started screaming at me, and may, maybe I deserved it. So I, I, you know, I don't want. It was twenty years ago. I don't remember the particulars of it, but uh, he obviously was not a fan of mine. And if he was a big star like Verlander, he might have gone to the lengths of uh, having me barred from the clubhouse as well. Fortunately, uh, he was not that great a player. <laughs> he was decent. He had a nice career. But uh, I, I wouldn't enjoy being barred. And I applaud Fennec for getting through this professionally. I would have guessed like Albert Bell or Milton Bradley or, you know, one of the legends, but I yeah, would not I have was, guessed Pete Harnish. I, I was smart enough to steer clear from those <laughs> people for the most part. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? Your career's not over. You could always still get stuff in the trash can by, by somebody else. So appreciate you, John, as always. And obviously our guests that came on today, too. Uh, hopefully everybody's in the, the habit of not only downloading, but hopefully you've subscribed to this bad boy. It's called Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. We'll do it again in a week. For John Heyman, Josh Lewin, thanks everybody. Talk to you. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.